Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I am your co-host, Christopher Mookie Gonna-Harrington, joined from the patron saints of New York themselves, the Empire State Warrior, Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, and I'm, I'm joined today from St. Paul, Minnesota, by a puppet. This is the uh, this is the Michelle Wilson puppet. No one else can see it, but we are we are actually on a, on a video chat as well. So for for no one's benefit but my own, Mookie is uh, he's speaking with a puppet here. As, as some people, as our as our uh, generous supporters and subscribers may have seen on our WQ3 analysis, where we we uh, did a video and an audio presentation. Uh, yes, there were puppets involved. There were documents. There were bars, bar graphs, charts, and uh, <laughs> and, and 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 a puppet show. I feel like we're the first thing since 1982 to try to make the existence of bar graphs and charts sound like it's an exciting add-on to a product. I think this is the first weekly episodic uh, show about pro wrestling business that involves puppets. Yes, that is probably true. And uh, I'm hoping that we'll get VisiCalc as a sponsor sometime soon. Uh, Brandon, how was your week? Did you wrestle this week? I did not. I'm I'm doing another podcast, an in real life podcast. Though late later after this, I'm going to the Walden Gallery Mall and I'm doing some ESW podcast stuff with uh, Andy Williams, who's also a wrestler from from the band. Every time I die, so we're gonna talk to him later. But uh, explain why you're doing this at a mall. I don't know. I'm not really in, in charge of arranging these things. Uh, referee DJ Jarka is. Um, it's part of something called the Podathon, which I there's a lot of um I don't know there's a lot of podcasts and radio people there. I'm and be is there. this at the mall in Syracuse or the mall in Buffalo? The mall in Buffalo. Okay. I couldn't remember which one was because you said Galleria, and I thought I thought the Syracuse one was the Galleria, but must that it, was it like the be, uh, the Medley Center, or that was the uh, I don't know. I, I've had some other great name. I've uh, I've met at the at the Syracuse Mall. I've met up with some other wrestlers to to get in cars to to go travel onwards, but at, uh, at least once or twice in my life. But uh, you know the Walden Galleria Mall, which is in. Just out, just east of Buffalo and Chittawaga. Oh, nice, nice. So yes, this was a uh, a big week for us, I think, in terms yes. of uh, events and things. Not only did we have our Q3 coverage on Thursday, um, but also the the news about Roman Reigns mm-hmm. saying he had leukemia, needed to step away from wrestling for a period of time. Here, mm-hmm. the drama over Saudi Arabia, the stock price uh really taking a big hit on friday uh by the time you compare it to monday um and then evolution is this sunday it's it's really one of these times that wrestling kind of gets interesting from a business standpoint and from a creative standpoint but if you are like brandon and i and very interested in the numbers and the machinations as i like to say of professional wrestling business uh logistics operations and of course oibda uh, feel free to become a Patreon supporter. You go to WrestleMomics.com. You'll see on the left side, you can go to the free show. On the right side, you go to the premium show. They'll bring you over to the Patreon page. $5 a month, you get the video feed. You get the notes. You get the notes for the show we're doing right now. You get all the audio we've ever done. And uh, if you bump it up to the $10 level, you can get access to the Google Drive where we keep all the archive of the documents that we we support every week and add on to and it's a it's a pretty good archive these days that's right it's our our secret wrestlenomics files yes and uh this week we're gonna listen to a little bit of audio but we're gonna have a ton more if you go and watch that q3 report we went through the conference call we we live tweeted pretty much from the moment that they dropped the documents until the conference call and then 
had our, our recording session right afterwards. It was an unusual time because this was the first time in a while that I can recall the 10Q dropped at the same time as the rest of the data. So there was very little to really add on to the story. Yeah, we got until, it all. Until the uh, stock price changed. That was pretty much mm -hmm. the only thing left. And so Brandon went out of his way this week to see if he could blow my mind with his stock market brandonomics. And uh, you're in for a treat, people, when we get to that section. Yeah, so uh, our premium show is already out there. We, we did about, what, 70 minutes? There's 80 a, minutes. 80 minutes. There's an audio version only for subscribers. There's the audio and, version, uh, audio and video version out there only for subscribers. So we've already done our premium show for the week, but we're going to... We're going to have a big free show right now talking about W Evolution, more stuff on Saudi Arabia, the WB stock, WB live events, Roman Reigns, the W network. What's the deal between, uh, our, our, is this, is the, uh, subscription price really going down on average because of all the special offers they're making at discounted prices? NXT attendance I've got in here. Maybe some New Japan gifts. Maybe some, uh, Constantine Kairos W concussion stuff. So, Ronda and Rousey. live event attendance. How does this quarter stack up? Not only to the last five years, but to the last 15 years, we've got a, a much deeper look than we've looked at. And we're actually going to even go back 20 or 30 years to look at how they're, they're comparing a little bit here. So this should yeah. be fun. So we want to do first. Well, let's talk a little bit about evolution. Evolution is this Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, it's the first thing in the dock here. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be Ronda and Nikki as one of the bigger matches that hasn't changed yet. Obviously, uh, uh, um, Alicia Fox stepping in for Alexa Bliss mm -hmm. due to uh, Alicia Fox. I'm sorry, Alexa Bliss sounding like she's still not recovered possibly from a concussion. Uh, Sasha Banks was talking about how she has been dealing with post-concussion syndrome. Yep. And uh, it's it's just one of these deals where it looks like the show will technically sell out, right? You know, uh, I don't care close. if there's tickets left on secondary markets. It sold out. They sold those tickets. So I looked at Ticketmaster this morning, and I counted 299 tickets still available. Uh, I, I, I tweeted about this a couple days ago, too, and I got some, some quote tweets. And, uh, and even this morning as I was updating that of uh, people sort of celebrating – uh, and, and contradicting unnamed others who were saying that the build was bad. But look, it's going to sell out. Um, I mean, I, it looks like Ticket Scalpers bought up a lot of tickets and now they're selling them for below face value. So Absolutely. I, so and, I, went, on, that's, that's, I went on StubHub a... and, and Vivid Seats and I found there's a ton of tickets on StubHub. There's more on, on Vivid Seats. There, there's 168 listings. So that's many of those listings are for more than one ticket. And there's too many tickets to count in in in, in quick order on StubHub, and uh, the cheapest seats like in the upper level, uh, which I believe have a face value of about twenty five dollars, or some of them are being sold for less than ten. Like there's six dollar tickets out there. But at the same time, this arena is uh, probably going to seat ten thousand plus. Nassau Coliseum. Yeah, so I mean it's a big big place. So I'm not that surprised. I would still call this a success. I think if you were not getting close to selling all your tickets before the event, that would be a a down, a, a, a frowny face emoji. And mm. uh, here I have to call it a smiley face emoji because you're going to sell all your tickets. This is your first time trying to do something like this. Um, you're not necessarily, in my mind, going all out. Mm -hmm. You're going all out in the sense of you're using the talent, but it's not like you're putting every NXT woman on the show you're bringing back some legends, but it's not like you've gone insane here and that you're spending, you know, $10 million to pay uh, uh, Chris Cyborg to show up there or something like yeah. that. Well, I, I think this is arguably disappointing. Uh, compare it, and I know there's a lot, a lot more benefits that this show had that I'm going to compare it to, but the, the first NXT TakeOver in Brooklyn, um, 
which is the most memorable match from that is Sasha Banks versus versus Bailey. That that event sold out. Uh, now I know they had a lot of people in town already for, from SummerSlam, but consider, you know, this was a NXT, a show that's only on the W Network. That they had never done a big arena show before, and it and it did much better than expected. And now here you've got this show uh, that's being promoted, or at least had the opportunity to be promoted through through Raw and SmackDown, and you've got the benefit of having Ronda Rousey and Nikki Bella and and pretty much any female W wrestler you want on here, and. Uh, it's not uh, it's it's not as valuable as the the ticket is not as valuable as uh, as the NXT Takeover Brooklyn one show was. Yes, I'll give you that, but I, I I'll flip it around and just say we're talking about a show that was promoted for late October versus a show that was promoted in August. You're talking about a show that had the benefit of piggybacking on something else. Yes, you're talking about um, a show that's going to draw over ten thousand people, and prior to All In. No one could tell you shows that were getting more than 10,000 people in the United States, except for WWE shows, not even all WWE shows, even for pay-per-views. Yeah. You know, there's many pay-per-views where they're only doing seven or eight or 9,000. Yeah. It, it's it, better than they're doing on television. And, and my, my point to, to counter that is look at the distribution that this show has versus the distribution that the NXT show had. The NXT show had whatever subscribers they have on the W Network. And this show, this one has, you know, USA Network and uh, whatever... I guess mainly USA Network because you're, you're drawing from a domestic uh, live attendance, live live event audience here. But, yeah. Well, I I feel like the audience there, there's different forms of the fans, right? So mm -hmm. you have the NXT fans that watch the product but that don't travel for it, mm -hmm. and then you have the live event WWE fans, and they both travel for NXT and they travel for the the evolution stuff but i think even if you did your google index you'd find that the every woman on this well not every woman that's that's too strong most of the top names on this show have a higher google index recognition than even the best nxt stars absolutely so it, it is a much much higher profile i think yeah you did have the benefit of of the nxt show being a lot hotter at the time it was on the flip side you know as we've talked about they've lost double digit women on the ratings percentage on television viewership during the first, the last seven months here. Mm -hmm. um, and so to me, the fact that they're still going to sell out a women's show when you're driving off your women fans in double digit percentage year over year. Over a period where, it, where you've had Ronda Rousey. For yeah. The first time. I mean, I, I don't think Ronda is a big star in, in WWE the way that some people thought she could have been. Mm -hmm. That said, I don't find this to be a failure. I think it's a little nitpicky because we're, i consider this a b pay-per-view and for a b pay-per-view it's doing terrific i don't if this was supposed to be a, a SummerSlam type thing then yeah i would be picky and the other half is i do think the new york new jersey market is just crazy when it comes to scalpers and i think that is really hard for us to divide if this was happening in portland and there was tons and tons and tons of scalpers going on then i'd be worried about it but I just feel like right now, WWE just kind of has to deal with this weird market dynamic every time they come to the New York, New Jersey area uh, around scalping. And, and it's very easy for us to read into it. And it's very hard for us to know what the truth of it all is. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking that this is a real success. I thought it wasn't going to be close to the success. I think it's amazing that within a month, they're going to be able to do a super show, an all women's pay-per-view and a uh, Saudi Arabia show. From a production standpoint and from a promotion standpoint, that is intense for them. That is unusual for them. And it looks like WWE is not going to deviate from that strategy. I, I think the lesson of, of All In and even of this MSG show coming up next year in, in that how quickly those those shows sold out. And I think a big draw in, in 
the reason why those shows sold out is because they were historic and the, and the MSG show is going to be historic. And this in, in, in some sense could be historic or is going to be historic, but it's, but it's just not built up in the right way or you didn't make people feel, you know, care enough about it. Um, well, I, I always prefer if things stand on their own merits rather than someone screaming from the mountaintop how historic, historic it is. Mm-hmm. Like, make it make it it's, historic by yeah. being great and memorable, mm-hmm. because otherwise you're just a footnote. It's, it's WB's version of a superficial historicness. Yeah, yeah. and and that's that always ri- drives me nuts. It's like you don't want the speech to be remembered as historic because you've told everyone it's historic. You want it to be remembered as historic because it actually moved people. And I'm looking forward to Stephanie McMahon's appearances on the show as well. It should be interesting for sure. And, uh, I do think she will be there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we know she's doing voiceovers for sure. Yes. Yes. Um, so uh, part of the show will be on Twitter. Uh, so WWE and Twitter are partnering for a simulcast of the first half hour of Sunday's evolution pay-per-view. It was announced today though. That is, I believe yesterday. That the first 30 minutes of Evolution will air on the W Network and on Twitter via the at WWE, at Twitter Live, and at Twitter Sports Handles at 7 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. Twitter has custom emojis for the WWE Evolution, Ronda Rousey, and Nikki Bella hashtags. That's that's exciting news. Well, what this makes me wonder is why the heck was this not mentioned on that conference call we were just on? Don't you think that uh, Laura Martin would have uh, done a dance of joy? Had she heard that her social media engagement was going to, in fact, get custom emojis, she would have. She would have been happy about custom emojis. Um, I don't know. Maybe they didn't finalize it until after that call was over. Who knows? Yeah, it, it's just an interesting one to me, where it it says something where maybe WWE's very um, anemic Twitter growth for followers this year on a service that apparently is losing uh, users overall, or at least active users. Uh, maybe that t- WWE is still considered a power powerhouse there i'd be curious if there's any financials of that deal that that does help them out or whether this is you know is is twitter playing along with them to try to get people to use twitter more or is are is there actually money changing hands one direction or the other i don't know i always wonder um yeah. but it, is it, this it's, paper it's really even easy a big to go deal? live is, on is twitter. the ronda versus nikki match a draw Mm, I don't. I don't know. I. I heard. I mean. I don't. I haven't been watching Ticketmaster every day. I heard Meltzer say that once that match was announced, that ticket sales sped up. Uh, hmm. I don't know. I, I, I think to my point earlier. Of the, I was not a huge fan of the um the back and forth promos that they did a mm-hmm. couple weeks ago on television. Mm-hmm. I thought it it felt very much like a bunch of guys writing what they thought some women would say to each other. And they're trying to do the old work shoot, you know, oh, you used to date John. Let's let's talk about your boyfriend. Let's talk about this and that. Supposedly Ron Rousey herself wrote something. Put it over as if it was the second coming. Supposedly other people. I mean, Dave. Yes. Well, uh, supposedly Ron Rousey wrote uh, at least one of her recent promos herself, uh, Mm. according to some report that I remember seeing. But yeah, I I think to to my point earlier, I guess what you you were bringing up about um, web searches and almost every woman on this show is going to have a, a, you know, I think higher awareness than, say, Sasha Banks and Bailey did in 2015. But I think awareness doesn't necessarily equate to I want to go to this show, travel to it by, you know, from whatever distance I have to travel from and pay money to sit there and watch it. Um, I will be fascinated if WWE comes up with any stats about the audience composition of this, whether they say, look, you know, we found that our, our television audience is usually about one third women, two third men, 
but at this live event here, look, it was 50, 50, look, it was, was even 60, 40, mm -hmm. um, or whether it's just going to seem like, no, these are the same WWE fans that go to everything. And I don't think it helps. Maybe not that many people care or even aware of this. And obviously we're steeped in Saudi Arabia, but I, it doesn't help that, um, it's overshadowed by the crown jewel news and all this controversy around Saudi Arabia and the murder of Jamal Khashoggi and so forth. Oh, and it feels, yeah, it definitely feels like an afterthought. And I, I know you quoted Dan Green's article in Sports Illustrated from this week where uh, I'll just quote uh, two paragraphs he had here. WWE frequently presents itself as a business of telling stories, but here it has aired in its way of trying to tell two in conflict, that it is a champion of women's representation and empowerment and that women taking their rightful place among men. And also that there's no qualms about gleefully promoting a show in which they are barred from performing and cannot even attend without a male guardian. The decision to carry on with crown jewel as planned was the result of WWE's own business calculations. Yet by placing shows within the same week, WWE ensured from the start that the two would be at least to some degree understood in relation one to the other. Uh, thanks to the forces of reality beyond even its control, only one has emerged as wrestling industry's biggest story, and it's not the story that WWE wants to be telling. And I agree very much with what Dan is saying there. That is that is spot on. That mm -hmm. you cannot compare, you cannot discuss this without putting them both one next to the other. As little as WWE wants to kind of acknowledge the fact that they're doing a show in an unnamed country at an unnamed uh, place on November second. Yeah logistically this works out great for them as well this isn't necessarily even a coincidence that these two things are in the same week in my mind yeah. Re regardless of how sincere they are about this the perception nonetheless is that this looks like an apology this the, the, this women's show looks like an apology for this all men's show that they have to go do that they can't resist doing because there's tens of millions of dollars involved it does it does and and to a degree it's overdue right i i do think the idea of a strong women's brand and being able to promote a pay-per-view based on that, especially in the era of pay-per-views not really mattering. I, I think it's great to try gimmicks. I think it's important to do things that are interesting. What I, I worry about is, just like you say here, sometimes you're getting thin with the roster. And uh, I don't mean from from weight comments. I mean from from the idea point that not everything on here really is that exciting every time. And that WWE just seems like sometimes they're shoehorning in a lot of random stuff and they don't even know how to promote it on their own television show because they can't decide uh, what Raw and SmackDown should be focused on on the lead up to the show. They're concerned with putting smiles on people's faces rather than making deep emotional engagements. But So Ronda Rousey had some comments on this, on, on yes. the Evolution show and on Saudi Arabia. And I think we're going to, you want to throw to that now? Yeah, let's talk about the Saudi Arabia question because she, she gave a uh, detailed answer. And I know different people have different feelings on, on what she said, but I found it interesting. I found it compelling. And let's just play maybe the first minute or so here. But she's going to start off. She's going to talk about being a former Olympian and uh, competing in judo. Um, there's a lot of conflict about whether or not this event should even go on as far as the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Many are saying the government is behind covering it up. Should this event be going forward on November 2nd, in your opinion? Well, I'm um, I'm a two-time Olympian. So I'm, I'm an idealist when it comes to, to sport. And uh, one of my favorite memories from the 2004 Olympics was I was, uh, I was in the gym and I was on the treadmill and I was cutting weight and I was running. And right next to me was um, a boxer from Iraq and he was running next to me. And it was the beginning of the Iraq war. And nowhere else in the world would some 
man from Iraq and a little girl from Venice Beach be, you know, respecting each other and sharing space. And um, I think that sports is where we really find that, that common ground with each other. And I, I think that pulling out of the crown jewel would be the, the wrong move because I think that um, this is an opportunity to be able to, to share our cultures and to define what, what we have in common. And, and in times, especially when, you know, times of adversity between two countries, that's, that's the absolute wrong time to be able to pull away. I think that's the, the time for us to be able to, to find what we have in common and be able to, to understand each other more, you know? And- yeah. So she's coming at this very much from the standpoint of the Olympic motto, the Olympic creed, the, the idea that, you know, sports and things are meant to unify the world. They're meant to, uh, almost exists in an apolitical universe and that you continue on and it's competition and it's important that you get together. And this is a way, a form of cultural exchange in a sense that you, you learn more about the commonalities of people by going there. And I can understand where she's coming from. And, and on the uh, interview, she goes on and for a while she talks, you know, at one point she says it, it might even seem frivolous, but I think big events like crown jewel brings every, everyone together and just imagine if someday, you know, these these people see American culture through WWE and then we bring in Saudi Arabian wrestlers and someday American kids grow up idolizing them. Won't that, you know, kind of bring up people in common? We all love to compete. We love to laugh. And I don't want to pull my culture away from theirs at a time where it's difficult to understand each other. The more we can share, the better. And uh, it's exposing people to see all the things that our culture has to offer. It's just baby steps. And and then she goes into this thing about the WWE Network. But uh what do you think about what she said, Brandon? And I was I'll, I'll I was disappointed that uh, she didn't bring up uh, her th- her thoughts on on uh, the uh, sixty million dollar uh, reporting in the other segment in Q two of WWE's uh, last quarterly report. Um, I I, I think you know, she's she says something similar to what JBL has said and what Randy Orton has said, also to TMZ, that uh, they have to go forward with this sh- this show if they want to lead social change, and I I think that's just to. They may or may not believe that sincerely or whatever, but I think that's that's beside the point. The thing that's really causing this show to go on is the fact that WWE wants to make tens of millions of dollars to do the show and to keep this deal intact because it, it feeds their 160 to $170 million OEBDA goals that they've promised investors for the full year of 2018. And as they noted in their in their last quarterly report, if they don't do the show, do Crown Jewel on November 2nd, uh, that goal uh, won't be what it is. So, and, and then this is profit again. As you know, people who listen to the show know this company is doing well financially. This company is going to report record OEBDA uh, this year, and they're they're going to break that record again. They project in 2019 because they have these big TV rights deals coming up that are only going to be getting started in 2019 and are going to go for another you know five years after that. Um, so this, this is economically motivated. It's not about, I don't really believe it's, it's about W wanting to lead social change. And, and, and if anything, I think people having these takes about, you know, oh, it, you know, we're just going to do the show anyway. And then we're going to tell ourselves that we're going to help lead social change. And maybe women are going to wrestle there someday anyway. It kind of turns a blind eye to what, what Saudi Arabia has done and continues to do and felt safe enough to do on, on October 2nd when they killed, apparently killed the Jamal Khashoggi. And I think, if anything, that that turning a blind eye and not 
punishing or distancing yourself from a government like that may only prevent change. I think one of the biggest challenges here is the fact that when we look at the Saudi Arabian record on how they've dealt with change and activism, it has been incredibly repressive in this last year because the entire mantra has been, if it doesn't come from MBS, it is not tolerated or accepted. And I think that's a really important point is to say, why are you imprisoning female uh, activists in your country? Because at the same time, you're saying, oh, we are letting women drive because and, and you're referring you to, are afraid the change happened yeah. outside of your control. And you're, you're referring to, I'm going to try to pronounce her name, Lujain Hathlo, who, who's in prison right now in Saudi Arabia, who is one of the activists, one of these feminist activists who who protested for, you know, for women's rights and, and perhaps was, was involved with uh, helping get women the right to drive. And now she's in prison. Because, and, you know, she's a and I think that's that's one of the biggest things is that there's more to change than just um, bring, making fans happy. And in a way, what's happening here is WWE is allowing themselves to be co-opted by the government as a way to please the fans is they're able to say, hey, Saudi Arabian fans, we will bring you culture. We will bring you entertainment. But on our terms, you have to see the government as the eventual decision maker that basically holds the power to bring this to you. And therefore, WWE isn't driving change. WWE is is basically advocating on behalf of a government that themselves is saying, we're not interested in what people have to say and what people have to do. We're interested in controlling the message and making sure that any reforms go through us. And and we heard the way that they responded when women were shown on the screen last time. The GSA gave a statement saying they would never allow that. Now, I do think that you do impact a culture by going there and interacting with them. Cultural exchanges have been you know this debate has been going on since the cold war and 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 for you know centuries beforehand but the whole idea of of do you isolate your enemy or do you integrate with your enemy and do you work and athletes for many 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 years one of the most common tactics is athletes doing exchanges with other athletes you know going and wrestling in iran or doing other things we, there's lots of examples of this so it, it is something where i do think it helps you understand each other some but i worry more about the fact that the government basically controlled this entire narrative they control the money they control the show it's not wwe decided to go to saudi arabia because they care about saudi arabia wwe went to saudi arabia because the government offered them a boatload of money and they had been going to these areas beforehand but now they're being pressured to uh act and and behave in a certain way and that is very frustrating and i don't and you know ronda goes in this whole thing about the wwe network and they're going to watch it and then they're going to see you know the crown jewel women show And what i'd say is oh i don't know if she would know that WWE Network is actually offered through OSN there. And I'm not sure whether or not OSN is actually broadcasting all of the WWE Network women's things in, you know, 100% the same way it would be shown in, in, in uh, other countries of the world for all we know. Right. And uh, to, to JBL's point that, uh, you know, you retorted against earlier, this is not Cuba. This is not a, com- a, a country that's as, as economically destitute as Cuba is. Um and and I think we need to, re- to remind everybody every time we talk about this, this is not just, you know, W decided to go to Saudi Arabia because they thought they could draw a nice crowd, a nice gate. They went there because they were offered tens of millions of dollars for a giant bot show purchased by the government, purchased in support of Vision 2030, which is this movement to, uh, you know, repair the image and enhance the image of Saudi Arabia. 
and to diversify and, and, and almost, almost done. And and if, and if you and if you watch that that Greatest Royal Rumble show, you know you 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 saw everything throughout that show, and especially that one moment where they threw that video, where you, it basically promoted the government, and it was very propagandistic. Absolutely. So I, what I would always say is the other piece of this is the talent concern, which is how do you feel as talent being put in this position? How do you feel individually? Ronda Rousey has every right in the world to say she has no problem going there and she wants to perform there. And and I, I don't think we should criticize her for it. I think we should keep our criticisms focused on the management of WWE, mm-hmm. who ultimately are worried about keeping their management incentive package super high. And one way of doing that is to make sure the stock stays super high. And one way of doing that is to make sure that people don't panic over the fact they're not going to go to Saudi Arabia. Now, that strategy might have backfired, but still, that that for them, it's very little downside that they have to basically take some some body shots. But they're not asking talent to go out there. They're, they're not the ones going out there, putting their face on the screen and knowing that they have to be the people that are the American company that's showing up. I also... I do think that it's a little different when you're in the the business of professional wrestling than when you're in an oil exploration business. Because I think at a certain point, you could say, our business is predicated on these economic terms, these resource developments, and these these ideas. And so people can understand, yeah, there's a lot of shady places you do business to sell oil. You know, I don't think it's the same way when it comes to wrestling. There's a lot of places you could be going and doing shows right now. And the fact that you're you're basically putting the talent and possibly allowing them to even to go as far as saying, hey, let's exclude a Syrian Canadian. Hey, let's do an Iranian uh, anti-Iranian angle on the show. Those are the sort of things that people should just be saying, what message are we sending with the company that we are keeping by bringing here and being able to to give up all your terms? Because at a certain point, there's a big difference between uh, giving up your morals and just trying to make make the crowd happy. Yeah, and make and your sponsors happy. And I think one of the one of the biggest questions on on November second, assuming this show does go on, and by all indications it's going to. W said it's going to. Are they going to be as propagandistic as they were at Greatest Royal Rumble? Are we going to see videos uh, celebrating the Saudi government and how progressive they are? Even after all this, even after a, a Saudi official has admitted that Jamal Khashoggi, his killing was premeditated. Yeah, and and. That was a huge shock this week when when one of the officials admitted that. I, I do think at some point, you know, people I would hope would continue to say, challenge people on more areas to say, hey, what's happening in China with the with the the, the Uyghurs being put into re-education camps and, and being moved out of their areas and having living in a surveillance state? Are you sure China is really a place that you feel comfortable knowing that you have to basically give up? Uh, and allow full censorship and that at any moment this this entire net can just collapse in on itself. And, and that's serious uh, and concerning, but I, I don't like it when people say, well, if, if you don't like this, then you, then you better not go, go to that country either. This this is different. This is tens of millions of dollars being offered by the government to WWE. And, and China, yes, is, yes. as far as I know, is not, is not in, inviting WWE to come and do a paid show for tens of millions of dollars. I mean, they, they the shows are kind of indirectly sponsored. Uh, oftentimes, I think in, in Shanghai, when they're doing it, with some of the tourism things, but yes, I, I, there is a difference between the two models. And at the same time, I would say what I would always want from this is to people to open their eyes and to talk more about the general geopolitical ramifications and pretend that not everything can be completely isolated and outside the realm of, of, of actually thinking about geopolitical things. And the fact that maybe it's just the wrong time to go. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's appropriate for a company to say, you know what, this is heinous. And this is uncomfortable. 
And this is not the deal we ever made with you. We never thought you were going to act this way because we keep telling people this is about change. And what we're seeing here is repression. We're seeing violation of human rights. We're seeing lying and we're seeing deceit. And those aren't things that we believe that we want to associate ourselves with. And so, you know what? We're going to, de- we're going to delay our show. I didn't really think they were ever going to walk away from this because they need money to bridge them till the new TV deal in order to hit their numbers. But I did think that there was a possibility they would just say, you know what, we're uncomfortable today because we don't want to be on the headline. We don't want the, the nightly news to talk about what jerks we were because we were the one company that said we'd rather take the money than take a stance. Mm-hmm. So it looks like John Cena and Daniel Bryan have refused to do this show. Cena seems very strong. We, we seem to see more and more evidence that Cena really said this. Daniel Bryan has been rumored, but there hasn't been a kind of secondary confirmation. I know Dave said at least creative was told Cena wasn't going to be there. Okay. But of all the people, Daniel Bryan would be the one guy that I could see kind of saying, I don't need the money to go and do this. I would rather, you know, stand up and do something that I actually care about and I think about and I believe this is right or wrong. And, and by the way, this was originally reported by Robbie Fox from Barstool that both Cena and, and Brian had refused. Has WWE responded? And uh, we, we talked about on the uh, the Q3 show, uh, so Ryan Satin came out with a report and he got a comment from WWE, which sounds very much like their earlier comments. WWE said, as always, we maintain an open line of communication with our performers and we'll address each situation accordingly, whatever that yeah. means. They're independent contractors. They can do whatever they want. They can do whatever they want. And then, uh, especially if we've advertised a, uh, uh, a best in the world, uh, worldwide tournament, what is it? The World Cup. Mm-hmm. And the World Cup is just all a bunch of Americans. And one of those Americans is like, I'm not going to go. The World Cup to determine the best in the world. I believe it's its full name. Yes. Uh, well, I doubt they could call it the World Cup. I always wondered why they could, you know, you, th- well, there would know. be a confusion there. I, I, I don't know. It's just, just that the joke is that every time it's brought up on commentary, it's called the World Cup determined the best in the world. Well, it's also so they can put a, a stick in the eye of the Qataris who, who have the World Cup coming yeah. to theirs yeah. and who are in a fight with the Saudis. But yeah. Bix also did an article for Deadspin where he mm-hmm. mentioned he reached out to the State Department yes. and basically asked them, did you advise them not to do it, the show? And the final answer from the State Department was, quote, off the record, no. Yeah, I found that amusing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it was a Bix, Bix goes on to write in, in parentheses, as is consistent with journalistic standards, a spokesperson or other source cannot unilaterally dictate what is off the record without the reporter agreeing or having an existing relationship that allows for such pronouncements. Yeah. So he just wrote it in there. And and I don't think that's a surprise, considering the, the reluctance that the government had to uh, distance itself from Saudi Arabia at first. And the fact that, you know, even Steven Mnuchin, who, in my opinion, drove a little bit of the drop for WWE stock at one point when he announced he wasn't going to go to the Davos and the Desert Future Initiative Investment Conference, he still went to Saudi Arabia. Uh, I, this was one of those things where I was like, I don't know if a lot of people even realize that. Yeah, but he still that. went. He just didn't show up at the conference. That was yeah. the only difference. Right. Did, um, did he, did, what, what did he go and do? Do you know? Did he do anything? Oh, he met with the ministers and, and oh. government officials. Yeah, there's. If you go to Saudi, if you're like me and subscribe to SaudiGazette.sa every day, uh, there's some amazing uh, you might like stories on yeah, there. I've seen. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, it will be very intriguing to see what's happening. And then you have this last question here, and it just says, "What are WWE's moral principles?" Uh, one of them is this uh, announcement that they finally made. I I've been wondering forever why they it took them this long to figure out that they should do this. It says, girl up in WWE, create sports for a purpose program to give girls to support 
Girls Leadership, basically saying that they have a multi-year partnership to support uh, this this uh, charity called Girl Up. And uh, I, I thought for a long time, if your point is, quote, uh, to achieve gender equality worldwide, which is one of the, the mission statements of Girl Up, and you're going to Saudi Arabia and you're basically allowing yourself to be in a situation where you're going to say, yeah, we're not going to show women. Yeah, we're not going to bring women. Yeah, we're not even going to let our female executives go over there and be treated like equals. Mm-hmm. Um, I really thought they'd at least get a loincloth of some more female charities to be able to say, hey, you know what? We are donating to pro- programs in this, and we think we're going to drive change. And at the same time, we want to be a, a person at the table. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing the show is because then we have a conversation with the people in the, the highest levels of the Saudi Sport Authority, and we're going to be able to influence them in the future. But yeah. we're also supporting these charities. Instead, it's taken a while for this to come out, and then they, they support it with this group. Um, and it's, it's you know, I'm sure it's a good group. There's one really weird stat in here. Um, women's sport receives only 0.5% of the sports world's total sponsorship income men get 62.1 percent so who gets the rest who gets the rest that was my question too so i was like is that because it has something to do with um uh organizations like when you support wwe you're not really supporting men or women you're supporting a a group that has more than one other people said what if it's things like uh poker where, yes, it's mostly men, but there's really no such thing as a men and a women's tournament necessarily. Hmm. So maybe it's both. Maybe it's sponsorship. So maybe it's really open-ended where it's about a school or something where it's not split into male-female. Maybe it's really open-ended where it's, it's it's also just other kinds of advertising. But I just thought that was the weirdest fact where you just all you had to say is 0.5% or just come up with a ratio between the two. You know, men get 300 times more sports sponsorship income than women. And then I don't sit there and try to analyze this. But I just thought that's such a weird stat to put out because all that does is make you think, what is their their third category here? Is it the 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 um, is it Airbud type things is some of it goes to animals that are amazing sports athletes? Maybe, maybe. But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's nice that they're doing this. But it, again, in, in the shadow of Crown Jewel, this looks like just an apology like, uh, hey, yeah, we, we do uh, progressive uh, uh, pro women work by day, but we but we uh, take blood money from oppressive regimes, regimes by night, which is uh, I know a lot of corporations do that, but that doesn't make it OK. And, and I'm not sure what what WWE's genuine moral principles are. I know they do. They do charity work. They do uh, make a wish stuff, and they do stuff with the, with the Special Olympics and the Susan G. Komen Foundation, which has its own criticisms. But um, I'm not sure what what this company's moral values are, uh, other than economic values. Well, you do link in our document here to their code of conduct. Yeah, I didn't find anything that uh, interesting in there. But. The October 2018 code of conduct, which talks about not harassing people, talks about immigration law compliance, no insider trading. That's mm-hmm. important one here. Mm-hmm. Uh, compliance with laws and company policies, um, conflicts of interest, confidentiality and non-solicitation, fair dealing, record keeping, bribes and improper influence. So uh, stopping kickbacks, which again, if you know the long history of WWE, you would know what a big deal this is uh, when it came to the video game uh, business at one point. Fraud and false statements, use of company assets, electronic systems usage, drug and alcohol policy, uh, employment conduct, um and waivers for directors and executive officers and then further information and uh they have this and this actually probably was recently updated mm-hmm. now that you say it's it's 2018 i guess it would be really curious to see um 
if we sat and did a, a uh, before after to see what they've added in here versus the version that was previously out there. That, about, I mean, I, I, I found that because I was poking around on the corporate website and on the community page that they have to see if they had any sort of statement about like what their moral principles are or anything like that. Some sort of mission statement that made any sort of moral assertion. And I, I mean, I, I didn't spend all day looking, but I couldn't find anything. I mean, they would just say that they're a recognized leader in global entertainment Yeah, and they reach, they make content for a global audience. Mm -hmm. That that's who they are. Right. It says so right on their, their, uh, their, their page, what we do. Mm -hmm. Um, anyways, so, uh, those were, were some of the bigger things. And then, you know, will they go all in on the 2030 type stuff that they used last time, or will this be a much more muted, uh, uh, crown jewel event? What do you think? I don't know. I, I wouldn't be, I mean, I, I, th I think there's going to be some of that at least maybe there won't be a video like there was last time. Um, do you think they'll invent content that they'll only show to international audiences? Like they'll have a lot of plugging of the evolution stuff, but you, the people in the arena won't see that they'll see some very different kind of stuff. Probably. I would yeah, that, that seems very plausible. Um, I, I don't think the, I, I think they know they're under some pressure here. I don't think they're going to do anything like they did last time with the Davari brothers coming out, waving the American flag, healing it up against the, the Saudi trainees. That would be insane if they did. I'm sure there'll be something that is just astounding and worthy of criticism coming out of this, but you know, Vince McMahon never ceases to, to amaze us. Yes. Yes. He does not. Uh, WWE stock price did uh plummet. And why did it plummet? Ah, uh, uh, who knows? I don't know. People want to say it's it's Crown Jewel. Justice. I don't think Crown Jewel is the reason. This is the, they're this is what they just, the punishment. That's what they get for going forward with this show. The stock fell by what what seven point eight percent. That's why, right? I think it was the disappointing Q three uh, numbers and the fact that they didn't really seem like they had an acceleration going on in many parts of their business. That's not as exciting of a story though. But it, so what motivated me to do this is I saw you uh, t tweeting, uh, someone was asking you about, uh, you know, why the stock had, had fallen. And, but and let you, me, let me explain why I tweeted this. Okay. So, but you, you, no, no, you let said, me, let, you me, said let that me explain it, this. Okay. I, I got a flat tire on what? the way home. I was dry. I left work and I was rushing to the mall of America. Okay. I was going as fast as I could. I got stuck on 35W South, which is very confusing. It's 35W South. Mm. Um, and it was super duper slow. It was really, really slow. And as I'm driving and we're going like eight miles an hour, I hear. And I finally realized, oh, my God, my front right tire is dead flat. But there's so much construction on the highway. I could not get off the highway for miles. Wow. So I drove and drove and drove and drove. And finally, I got to a ramp that had been closed. So there's traffic cones everywhere, and the ramp had been closed. So I pulled over to where normally you would start going up the ramp. And I was finally able to pull over to the side. And then I basically went to get help about my flat tire to get it, like, you know, replaced. And I then it started to rain, and it got dark. Oh, wow. And I sat in my car for more than an hour. And you tweeted. I am not capable of changing a tire myself. Yeah, me neither. Uh, so we do spreadsheets, while I not, not, waited, not car maintenance. Yeah, yes, spreadsheets, not sockets. Um, and so while I waited for it to happen, I pulled up finance.yahoo.com, mm. which is the better one I find for actually a finance site compared to Google. Google Google's Google's rearranged their stuff and it's not as good anymore. Yeah, I like the fine th that one. So I pulled it up. And I thought I pulled up the S&P 
Okay. As well as WWE. So I pulled it up and I, I made a tweet about it. And I, I said something really vague about how a day after uh, WWE results happen, it always feels like there's a change where it takes people kind of time to process it the first day. And then the second day they react to the real news that they have a chance to go home and think about it. And then the data does um, bear that out. And so I wanted to know what happened. And so I was just like, ah, let's, let's look into it. Or, I mean, let, let, let me tweet about it. And I thought the S&P had really taken a, a battering because I'd heard something about how, like, the market had really had a bad time in the last couple weeks here. And that was true. But S&P actually only dropped, like, 1% on Friday. Yeah. And yeah. WWE dropped, like, 7 yeah. So they were certainly okay. not correlated yeah. with each other. So I was baffled when I read that as I was sitting at Wegmans last night uh, uh, listening to someone play live jazz music in the cafe and, uh, you know, scrolling through my Twitter. Um so what we found was that this was, I mean, not so, we, you, you did all this work. I did it. Um, so I just went to, to Yahoo finance and I downloaded the CSV, which are like Excel files of every, what does CSV stand for comma separated values. That's correct. Yes. Um, so I downloaded the CSV files for, you know, the just stock information of, uh, for, for WE stock for every day that it's been a public trade, publicly traded company since October, 1999. And then the same, Timeline of information for the S&P 500, the, the uh, NASDAQ, the Dow Jones. And uh, and, I th and by looking at this data, I think you are right that it, it does take two days for the bulk of the movement to happen following a, a quarterly or annual report. So, at, and I, so I went into the SEC filings and I uh, found every date that a quarterly report or annual report or even an amended quarterly report was, was filed. And I loaded all those dates into the spreadsheet and I found, you know, let, let's take the stock price the day before the report, the day of the report, and the day after the report. So the closing price for each one how of did those. You, how did you find all the dates of when they did filings? I went to corporate.w.com. I clicked on investors. I click, clicked on SEC and other filings. And then I sorted by quarterly reports. I copied and pasted all those. Then I sorted by wow. annual reports. I copied and pasted all those. Nice. Well done. Well done. And, and so... What, what, what I found, so the, I think the question is like, so how normal, so this, this stock dropped, W stock dropped by 7.8%. Uh, the S&P uh, on the same day only dropped like uh, 1%, 1%, less than 2%, I think. Uh, this is yesterday. I'm talking about Friday. So uh, so I guess the, the question is, how normal is this? How, how does this compare to other days following earnings reports for WB? And, and I think the answer is this is basically the second worst ever. Um, only, only... Uh, uh, you know, only overcome by October 29th, 19 or October 29th, 2015. And I don't remember, I kind of, I did some cursory Google searching, uh, for the, for the, that date. And I can't remember like what the news was that would have, uh, driven the stock down so far. Um, so that would have been, Hmm, let me think here. So that was the results for Q3 of 2015. So it was three years ago. Yeah. And we were uh, both I bet you anything I did stuff. a show after that. You could have. I might have even called in. I don't know. <laughs> um, it, that would have been a year after they did the big expansion on the WWE Network because that was August of 2014 when they kind of panicked and said, oh, my God, we're not getting the numbers we need. We got to expand the rest of the world. We got to do a bunch of cost cutting. We got to axe the magazine division. So it was a year after they'd done cost cutting for sure. It was after the uh, the TV deal had been announced in May of 2014. And that's number so, three, the, the third worst reaction of all time over two days. May, was, May 2nd, 2014. Was, 
Yeah. And, and that's so, probably falling, you know, disappointing TV deal, W Network subscribers sort of, we're seeing where that really is and it's below some people's lofty uh, expectations. Now, the only, only caveat I'd put on this, um, the fact that they had the second worst kind of reaction to their filing of all time is the fact that their best reactions to their filings of, of all time was also in this year was mm-hmm. after like Q2 and Q1, I believe were like the highest increases, weren't they? Uh, I don't even have the data open right now. What am I doing? Yeah. I, I, when I was looking at your file yesterday and this is a great file, if this, if you are a smart stock trader and you want to save uh, a buttload of, of research time, you can buy for $5 this spreadsheet. You just become a Patreon subscriber and then you'll get access to everything. Yeah, the link when I look at your, your like best of all time parts here, yeah, oh, I'm right. sorry, those were in 2017. Okay. So um, February of 2017, the annual report and October of 2017 were the two highest of all time. Yeah. Over two days, reaction. October, 2017. And I, I think I did some searching on that and, and that just happened. I don't know. I think I think that's where Vince says uh, we're open for business as far as a potential sale. That's true. Yeah. And that's where they started to really overperform against the Weebda um, uh, uh, projections that was of what was going on. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, we should take another day someday and, and try to tie these two news stories or something. But, yeah. But but keep going on. So what happened? So WWE took a, a schlacking, as, as you could say. Uh, but how did S&P and NASDAQ and Dow Jones, how did those compare? So over over Thursday and Friday, the S and P dropped by just a half a percent. Um, the Nasdaq dropped by 0.8 percent. The Dow Jones dropped by 0.7 percent. Actually, wasn't that? I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong the, uh, numbers. I'm reading the wrong. Isn't it 2018? I'm reading the wrong row. The S and P yeah. dropped by went went up by 0.1 percent. The Nasdaq went up by 0.8 percent. The Dow Jones went up by point by 0.4 percent. Again, this is over Thursday and Friday. Meanwhile, WD stock went down by 9.8%. And and one of the things I've been trying to emphasize to people is what was the good news in the Q3 number? They didn't have a UK deal to announce. They didn't right. have an India deal to announce. They didn't have a tiered network to announce. They didn't have new in-ring content to announce. They didn't have NXT expansion territories to announce. They didn't have um, a, a new signing of, of no, you know, they didn't say Brock Lesnar is, is committed to a five-year contract with us. He's going to continue performing. They didn't have news about Saudi Arabia that really made anyone feel anything except for they didn't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had uh, low attendance numbers. They had slowing social media growth. And I know a lot of things have been slowing, but it wasn't impressive. They had good AVOD numbers. They had a really great AVOD numbers, but that's a very small amount of monetization for them. They didn't have any new TV deals. Their sponsorships and licensing numbers didn't look great. There wasn't a lot for them to really go out of their way and, and brag about. So it was tough to say there would be a reason you should be abnormally excited about the stock. Now, is the stock worth more than 20 bucks? Absolutely. But the stock was coming in at 85 some dollars. Uh, at the beginning of this week, and it's down to 70 some dollars. Yeah. So it, it was in some ways a market correction. And analysts overemphasize what's happening with WWE, and they, they respond heavily, heavily, heavily to what other analysts put out and say, here's my price target. So if price targets are going up, people get really excited. If price targets are going down, they don't like that at all. Well, I guess our answer as far as like what's driving this, is it Crown Jewel at all? 
to any extent. I guess we should look for some uh, some. Uh, I, I, I can't say it's not, but I can't say it is. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I would look forward to, to seeing any any uh, analysis somebody like J.P. Morgan or BTIG or Needham or uh, Morgan Stanley puts out. Sometimes those get passed I'm, along to us. Yeah, and and yes, please do pass those along if you get them. And I, I thought what was really telling to me is that um, Jason uh, Bazinet from City called in. Mm-hmm. And when he asked uh, them about Saudi Arabia yeah. deal, uh, they Vince just said all our. Th- I'm sorry, George just said as Vince said, all our thoughts are encapsulated in the statements we made. And then he said, "Are there any analogous examples that you want to point to? Economic sanctions swept up in a media company?" And he said, "No." People yeah. pointed out to me later on that uh, South Africa would have been a really good example, where Sun City was a place where sometimes wrestling promoters would go and run shows, and there's a lot of controversy over whether or not to do business with with apartheid. Uh, uh, South Africa. Um, but what I thought was so telling is that basically he called in, asked that question, and that was it. He had nothing else he wanted to talk about mm-hmm. except for that Saudi Arabia question. Mm-hmm. And so that was intriguing to me as well in the sense that uh, uh, a really smart analyst kind of looked at this and just said, there's nothing else that in this this uh, uh, pile of papers that intrigues me enough at this moment to really go deeper on things. So I do think people are a little antsy that they're not announcing the UK deal and they have two months left. And if there ever was a time that you could make it a better footing for them, this would have been a a good time with the announcement of the NXT brand in the UK with other things that they're doing. They even were asked by um, a different, by Ben Swineberg. I think he's with Morgan Stanley, if I remember right. Uh, It says maybe just in the UK with Comcast acquiring Sky. You obviously know Sky very well from your relationship and you know Comcast really well and NBC here. How's that acquisition? If it had all changed, are you thinking about that market? Vincent McMahon, it doesn't change how we think about it. So, you know, there was just some interesting exchanges there where it just kind of felt like people were leaving them doors openings and they didn't have anything to really capitalize on. So I, I do feel like Saudi, the, the crown jewel effect in some ways emphasized it because while the statement um, that they gave, and I should probably quote the statement since if, if you actually haven't sat down and read it, all of it, do you, do you have it open in front of you? Which statement? The statement that they wrote in the report about when they actually referred to it as a heinous event uh, and take, a crime. It would take me a minute here, to pull I, it up. I have it right here. They said, WWE has operated in the Middle East for nearly 20 years and has developed a sizable and dedicated fan base. Considering the heinous crime committed at the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, the company faced a very difficult decision as it relates to its event scheduled for November 2nd in Riyadh. Similar to other U.S.-based companies who plan to continue operations in Saudi Arabia, the company has decided to uphold its contractual obligations to the General Sports Authority and stage the event. Full year guidance is predicated on staging the event as scheduled. Um, and the fact that that was pretty much the only time they referred to there being a crime, yeah, there being something heinous. It was a difficult they decision. Didn't, they didn't even say that there was a murder yeah, or anything. It was... You know, it, it was just a crime. And so it, th- what I thought was ridiculous when George started a statement, and he says, our thoughts are with, and I was like, oh, he's he's going to say the family. He's, nope. Our thoughts are with what we encapsulated in the statement earlier. And yeah. I was like, all right. Stop asking us questions about that. Yeah. You, you almost, so you it was just one of those where I, I felt like they, at they, they started to answer it. We didn't get the feeling that they were coming at it from a place of compassion. They were coming at it from a place of, we need to say as little as we can about this. And we've been told there's nothing good to say, but at the same time, maybe that's because you've put yourself in a position where there's nothing good. And the idea that, oh, this could never have been seen. No, we didn't think that someone would, would, would kill a sovereign citizen in someone else's consulate. 
or in a council in another country. But the moment the Vision 20 fund was announced as WWE taking place, I would like to say I immediately had some red flags running up and I started asking questions about it and thinking, this is really weird. This is really odd. This is, this is a situation where you're tying yourself to a, an autocratic regime that you may or may not like what they do and how they are perceived in this world for 10 and years. Then Yemen and other things have gotten, this is going to be a story at least once a year for 10, for nine more years. One would think one would think. Um, so these brandonomics though, do, so they do bear out my, my casual observation that it feels like oftentimes it takes two days for the stock or the stock reacts for two days might be another way of putting it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, sure. we'll see what happens on Monday. Um, I, I think Lavi had a, had a question on Twitter. Maybe he added us in it. Uh, think about how much market capital they lost over these two days and, uh, mm -hmm. compare that to the value of the Saudi deal. I, I tried to I tried to calculate how much market capital they 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 did lose, and I got really confused uh, because on the trending schedules they list something like ninety point point eight million diluted shares now, whereas like a year or two ago they only had seventy seven million diluted shares. So I got really confused on on how to correctly calculate market capital, but it's it's in the hundreds, uh, the, hundreds of millions in, in terms of the, the the market cap loss somewhere in there. The differences there could be. Um... And, and the better experts could probably answer this, but it yeah. could be when Vince is liquidating his B shares, they're becoming A shares. And so that's increasing the A shares. I, I think diluted shares includes A and B though. I don't know. Yeah, somebody would know better. Okay. It could also be that when they, they've just been doing these other deals that they've been, you know, that sometimes they have shares that they can authorize that they just haven't put out there yeah. too. Um, so, so Meltzer thinks that if they did cancel the crown jewel show, it wouldn't affect the stock price. And he thinks that Crown Jewel is worth in profit, you know, he likes the word profit, $2 million. Okay, so he's getting that number from Eric Handler's, uh, from MKM, mm -hmm. uh, his estimate that he wrote. Deadline was the one that, that quoted the article, but basically said WWE Saudi Arabia conundrum could cost up to $16 million, was the name of the article. And specifically in that article on Deadline that was published on um, October 17th, uh, Eric Handler of MKM Partners maintains a buy rating on the stock with a 12-month price target. It, it closed, yada, yada. He says, the estimates the decision to delay or cancel the wrestling circuit's November 2nd show or move it out of the country could cost $2 million to $3 million hit to fourth quarter cash flow. And then in a later paragraph, they say he estimates the hit to 2019 operating income could range from $12 million to $16 million. So, so Meltzer's getting that number from that. I am not, I don't think for a second Dave did the math himself and mm -hmm. knows that. Yeah. He's just trusting that this analyst did that math and figured it out. Now, if that's and, the case and it's only worth $2 million, their OEBDA projection of 160 to 170, that's a margin of $10 million. So that would negate this argument that they, that they put in this footnote in the, in the press release in the 8K that uh, to, to hit that goal, they need to go forward with the show. Well, there's two things here. Number one, he said cash in the article and then he said operating income so yeah. again we would operating have to figure out if those are all the same thing operating income is not a weebda those are two different things they are not the same thing and that's why that's why profit is such a terrible word to use because his his article specifically said cash and again that would mean the value after not revenue revenue minus costs minus many other things uh number two about that is i do think people over react to WWE news when it comes to the stock because they don't know how to interpret it. So yes, if WWE had given any transparency on how much money these deals are worth, 
then yes, canceling the deal would probably only hurt them a little bit. But if only one analyst thinks it's worth two million and some other analyst thinks it's worth 45 million, people will react. So I, I don't think Dave is, is um, backed up by facts to say it wouldn't hurt them at all. Now, they've already taken a hit. So would it have hurt them worse than they did already? I personally still think yes, because I think it would have been bad news, bad news coupled with negative impact to full year number. So I, I think they would have gone down and I think they, people would have overreacted. And it might have even been something where they went down a lot and then bounced back a little bit on Friday. And they might still be at the same dollar value. But when we have two days in a row decline versus one drop and one gain, we look at that stock as if it's a different story, even though it probably ended up at the same dollar amount in the end. Now, in the other situation, you've actually made a moral choice. You've made a, a, a something that could get, buy you some credibility with your fans, with your talent, with your business partners. And that's the biggest question of all is, is there any business partners out there who are ever going to say, you know what? WWE sticks by its guns and it's with me to the end. I love it. Or are they going to say, WWE will take anything for a dollar and that's what matters to them. And we don't really know how they feel. Or are they just going to say, don't look at our books. Don't ask us about our partnerships either. And we won't ask you about yours. Maybe that's how they will, they'll react. Yeah. Is, is the damage or whatever fallout that's going to be caused by going through this show, is it worth whatever profit or whatever profit metric you want to use? Is it worth the benefit of doing the show? If I was at the Business Partner Summit and I was a company that had a, a ethical stance about who we do business with, mm -hmm. this might be one where, you know, at that business partner summit, I would take aside one of those executives and say, this is how I feel about this. But you know what? All over the world, we see big tech companies. You know, there, there's been all these articles that have been really telling about how much Silicon Valley investing is tied to Saudi Arabia and how yeah. few of those companies want to really admit it out loud yeah. that that's where a huge portion of their their revenue uh, to be able to keep operating with is coming from. Uber for a while. Yep, Uber for one, but a whole bunch of other smaller startups, startups that don't have an Uber-like presence. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. So yeah, I agree that I know where Dave's getting that number. I can't say whether it's true or not because I haven't read Eric's piece to figure it out. Mm -hmm. On the back-end analysis, I came up with something like it's 25% on $45 million and or 20%, you know, profit. And so if this deal was only worth maybe 10 million on the second version of it, maybe that would make sense. Cause there's that huge question of, is it really going to be a big 40 plus million dollar swell this quarter? And in addition, which I don't know whether people remember or not, Australia is going to be on this, this uh, whole deal. So Australia is probably not going to hit media nearly as much because the Australia would be more live event revenue. Yeah. But there might be some local media stuff that maybe i don't know if it was shown in any way in australia that would have inflated it but for the most part i think we'll be able to isolate the saudi arabia stuff in the other media category and then the live event numbers unless they're being completely diluted yeah i would expect that speaking of dilution do you want to talk a little bit uh or we can talk a little bit about the WWE network numbers yeah you better talk about it because i don't understand a lot of this math but well i, I, I did go through uh, we'll talk about how i collected this data at least i just went through the old trending schedules and I collected uh, all the W network revenue numbers and all the W network subscriber numbers, at least average paid subscribers over an entire quarter to examine this question of uh, is W, even though their subscribers are going up uh, when you compare a given quarter to the same quarter of a previous year, even though those subscriber numbers are increasing, is it the case that uh, 
yeah, the subscriber numbers are increasing, but they're getting less money per subscriber. Is that true? It's tough to answer. Um, because what a lot of people forget is when they look at a network number, it's not just WWE Network. It is include pay-per-view. And they'll say, oh, pay-per-view doesn't matter. What do you, what do you, why do you talk about pay-per-view? Well, you know what? Pay-per-view is still, in 2017, where we, the last year we actually still have pay-per-view numbers, was worth $14.2 million. That is a non-negligible amount of money. The total amount of money was $190 million. But when you take out pay-per-view, that totally changes what you're going to see on your revenue. And the fact is, if we assume, you know, in Q1 of 2016, they did $2.1 million of pay-per-view. Q2 of 2017, they did 2.8. If I assume the midpoint, 2.5 for this year. And the same thing for the WrestleMania quarter, where I assume maybe 5.8. And if I assume a similar number for Q3 of about 2.6, then I back into my my uh, revenue per sub paid subscriber number. Yeah, I dropped to 940. But you know what? Last quarter was 932. The quarter before that, it was 949. The quarter before that, it was 948. The quarter before that, it was 994. But before that, it was 945. So we've been in this 940 range for a while. So I think in some ways people are are coming up with a false narrative when they're they're stating that oh my god look at the subscriber number it's it's the the value of of a sub is super down the ARPU is super down that must mean that it has to do with all these ninety nine cent uh, uh uh people getting the network for ninety nine cents but the reality is what we've seen is a huge growth you know eleven point nine percent growth on international subs. And international subs operated a totally different value than domestic subs because part of it is UK, part of it is through uh, licensing agreements like in Canada or um, possibly through Malaysia and possibly OSN uh, in the Middle East. And so we don't really know what the numbers are. When I do the regression, if I assume that there's a linear regression that you can do and that the value of a domestic subscriber is static – I would get that, you know, the average domestic person is maybe 10 bucks a month. The average international person is more like eight bucks a month. Some versions of this even had it down at five bucks a month. Now, the reality is I probably shouldn't assume domestic is a straight, the coefficient on the domestic is a, is the same number every quarter because it probably does vary a little bit as these, um, they've adopted these new strategies around some discounted subs. And so there's probably some ratio I can use with the number of free subs or the number of subs that swelled during the WrestleMania quarter and use that as the number of people that they're basically targeting for discounted value. And but, I guess I still don't understand. How, how, can, how can domestic be averaging more than $10 when the top price that they're charging a U.S. customer is $9.99? The reality is it's probably – I'm probably overemphasizing some of the domestic money that should be going into international. Okay. I do know that they charge more than nine ninety nine in some places, like yeah. where they have to pay cloud tax in Chicago or when they're, of course, processing through PayPal, they, they charge a higher number. Do they? I get charged more. Yeah. Really? So um, – so that could be have something to do with the fees or, or or processing fees that they're adding on, but I don't know whether or not they're they're taking that and then counting that as a cost, or whether they're just taking the amount that they get paid after after the processor is done, or if it's even different in international com countries. I guess that sort so, of would be like how Meltzer says that when WWE reports their their gates for live events, like for WrestleMania, they include fees, ticket fees. Exactly. So that that would be my point is that if they are, which I don't know. I really don't know. There would be a possibility the number could be above $10. They also could be getting more than $10 because if you quit 
but you're you're in the middle of a month, they don't prorate it for you. So you can ha- you can basically get a full amount of a person. And even if say you had two people, one that came in halfway through a month, one that came in halfway uh, ending through a month, they'd count as one subscriber on the average number, but you'd get almost twice as much revenue from them. I would think the vast majority of U.S. subscribers, though, are paying with a credit card and are not being charged anything extra and don't, don't live in Chicago or someplace where there's some sort of extra fee. I guess my point is that the average sub number is when you read the fine print, it talks about it being an arithmetic, basically, to come up with the number. And I'm saying the problem is you get revenue and it's not prorated. And so you, when you add people, you kind of get that revenue up front, even though you didn't get them for the full month. And so they, they would only count as a portion of a subscriber in theory, but yet you got the full amount from them in the first month, at least. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really know what the answer. I, I honestly, I think the answer is it has something to do with the sliding value of, of a domestic and to a degree an international one based on the, the uh, mix here. So if I ever had a good way of coming up with a proxy for how many UK subscribers they had and how many people on a discounted tier, or if, you know, WWE ever actually gave us the data that they kind of hinted they would at some point, which would be more details about those exact things, that would be really useful for us. But right now, you know, if you just want a, an easy rule of thumb is, you know, multiply your domestic by about 30 bucks and multiply your international by 23 and a half. And you'll probably get a pretty good estimate for what the revenue actually ends up being. Uh, I don't know if that's because maybe they have, they have, you know, partner share agreements with some people, or if it has something to do with what their uh, uh, other ways that you can subscribe where they don't get the full amount. You know, for instance, people have talked about um, when you subscribe to Apple type things, sometimes you don't get the full amount because Apple takes half versus yeah. if you subscribe in app. Mm-hmm. So there could be things going on with stuff like that mm-hmm. where WWE doesn't get the same value uh, of revenue actually given to them. I'm and sure I just what, don't know whether or not that comes through on the revenue side or whether that comes through on the cost side. Any credit card would take a fee as well from from the seller. Yeah. And, and again, the biggest point of this is, is that everyone has forgotten about pay-per-view. Everybody's just assuming you take the, the network number and you divide it by subscribers and that gives you your average value for network subscriber. But nobody the reality buys is anymore. there's probably 10 to $11 million of pay-per-view this year alone. Nobody buys pay-per-view anymore. Pay-per-view is dead. Yeah. Tell that to UFC who just did what, $120 million on one of their pay-per-views where they took home at least 70. That's right. Pay-per-view live forever. Traditional media rules. Well, in one event, UFC did better than the best year in uh uh well one of the be- one of the last years of uh WWE for pay per view in yeah. one event they did yeah doing more than seventy million of take home for sure and McGregor Mayweather did what I don't know four, what, what the four million or something like that north of two million more the I I can't even remember how many million now you can look it up yeah please do so that was just an interesting little thing for me where I was trying to figure out is it really plummeting and yes it is lower than 9.99 but we've this whole last four quarters it was 9.48 9.94 i'm sorry 9.49 9.32 and 9.40 so we've been sitting in a world where it, it costs about 9.50 4.3 million is, buys for mcgregor mayweather 4.3 million 4.3 wow so yeah it, just i just wanted to bring up the point that pay-per-view is not necessarily dead it's sold in many countries around the world. 
Um, there's also certain deals like in India and whatnot where, yes, the network is nothing, but that's also because they've sold the pay-per-view rights to the Indian television people. And so I also wonder if as part of that, it doesn't get recognized as a TV deal, but it get recognized as pay-per-view revenue. Mm-hmm. So again, that sort of thing is going to prop up pay-per-view as well. If it's shown on linear television or as part of a subscription television package, like in India, and it's not necessarily sold. Um, reimagining live events. This was a quote from Vince, and I'm just going to, I'm going to just say what Vince said. Uh, Vince said, quote, um, from a live event standpoint, it, that is, and always been parameter as to how we're doing, notwithstanding though, we though around this word, we imagine a lot. I think he meant we reimagine a lot, uh, but we know what's wrong with our live events and it's somewhat, I don't want to call it certainly antiquated presentation, but we know how to fix things. If something's wrong and you don't know how to fix it, you're in trouble, but we know how to fix it. Yeah. And we're going to be reimagining those live events very, very shortly. You'll see a pretty big turnaround. And I think in short order. Thursday evening after we got done doing this and recording the podcast, I I was talking to someone and I actually used the term notwithstanding. And uh, the the key here was that they did 4,500 North America attendance. Excludes WrestleMania. Q3 wouldn't have WrestleMania. But just in general, when you exclude WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. And people said, wow, that sounds really bad. Have they done that bad? And the answer is, they have not done that bad in over 10 years. Yeah, I thought we were going to have to reach back to 1997. I went through old old KPIs this morning. I thought I I wasn't going to find anything in the KPI era, which is, I I guess, since they've been public or at least the early 2000s. I thought I wasn't going to find anything that we were going to have to, like, pull up observer numbers and make some, you know, guesses and it from like 1997 or something. But no, back in 2005, Q3 2005, they also averaged in that quarter 4,500 in North American live attendance. And, and what I was telling Brandon about was what's important to remember is how the live event business changed in the uh, 2000s after the brand split. Yeah. And, I, and I should add, so that, it's not just that quarter. Uh, 2004 Q2, 4,300, 2004 Q4, 3,700, 2004 Q3, also 3,700. So this is like the fifth worst of the last, what, 14 years. Yeah. And, and what, what I reminded people is during the Attitude Era, WWE ran around 200 shows. In 1999, for instance, which is, is May 98 through April 99, real height of the Attitude Era. They ran 199 shows. They averaged 11,426 people a show. An incredible number, averaging more than 10,000 people a show. That's incredible. Uh, uh, from May 1st, 99 to April 30th, 2000, they averaged 12,000 people a show in 206. So they were running about 200 shows a year. Mm. You jump to 2002, in going into 2003, they shot up to 327 shows. The year before, they ran 237. They ran a hundred more shows, 90 more shows actually that year. That's incredible. But the attendance plummeted at the same time, partially because they lost the stars, but partially because they diluted themselves. They went from 8,500 people a show to 5,500 people a show. The next year it dropped to 5,000 people a show. And if you just look at North American attendance that year, it was 4,500 people a show. What's the timing of the brand split and the exit of The Rock and Steve Austin not working house shows anymore? I want to say 2002 to 2003 mm-hmm. um, was a lot of that. So obviously I mean, there Steve was some, Austin some had specials. His, Steve Austin had his very last match still to this day at WrestleMania 2003. 
Yeah. So it, it started to go down in 2002. And then by 2003, really, everything had changed. And what we see at that point is that international got super hot. They started to run international and they could do, you know, 32 shows in 2004. They did like 9,000 people. Um, and then the next year they went out and they did even 49 shows. And the year after that did 52 shows. And this is where Europe, Europe got super hot. And by 2008, they were paying for Orlando Jordan and Ultimate Warrior to show up there. W and didn't Rikishi run that show. His, no, no, they didn't. But I just meant in general, Europe was a super hot market. So they, everyone they is in it. Spain, Europe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it was just the whole idea of we got cold in domestically. And so internationally, we got hot at the same time. So WWE began to adapt its strategy around touring. Hmm. But what I like to bring up to people is that this was a time when WWE was vastly increasing the number of shows that they ran. And then, of course, going into 2006 and 2007, this is where you start throwing an ECW and think, oh, maybe I can keep doing even more shows with an ECW brand. And that quickly fizzles out. I believe um, ECW is excluded from these averages. It's noted in the uh, TBI slide. Not all of them. Nope. Um, uh, uh Transition year 2006 includes uh, ECW shows. Okay. Yeah. So that that year they averaged 5,334 people, and that was 212 North American shows doing 4,860. Uh, you're curious, where does Chris get all these numbers from? How does he know this? Well, go to IndeedWrestling.com, mm. and uh, there's a little attendance thing there. And maybe that's a pain to try to find it on there. So just become a Patreon subscriber. You can click on the link in the document, and you'll see it. But this is the kind of uh, garbage that I was looking at and writing up for years and years, which I'm very happy because I, I don't have the patience to do it now. So luckily, I did it a couple years ago, and so it's all there. Mm -hmm. You will not find that on WrestleNomics.com. You could, we could put it up there maybe, but that's a whole other – that might open a can of worms. It, it might. Um, Roman Reigns, not going to be around. Well, hang on. Does that reimagining re live events? What are they going to do? What are they going to do to reimagine live events? You well, know, Roman Reigns not being around. That's not a good thing for reimagining live events either. Yeah. Uh, we, we speculated before, maybe they're going to do some fancy digital stuff and interactive stuff. Maybe you're going to go on your phone and, and vote for, maybe everything's going to be like Taboo Tuesday. Every house show is going to be like Taboo Tuesday. You're just going to vote for you know, what the matches are going to be and what the stipulations are going to be. I don't know. I, I, I would suggest you need to reimagine the way you need, you create stars. That's the way historically pro wrestling has, has drawn live attendance through, you know, just the, the platform of distribution that you have to expose yourself on, on a, to a mass audience and then having the talent and the stars who people want to go get out of their house and travel to an arena and pay to see. And, uh, and I'm, I'm afraid that, that that's not going to happen in, in any short order until you reimagine who the head of creative is. I also think you're going to see a greater emphasis on meet and greets and the ability to interact with talent in some mm -hmm. way. And short of even interacting with them, social media interaction where every, every night they're going to be required, you know, uh, Seth Rollins has to retweet one fan who says they're at the show that night, you know, that sort of thing to make them feel special. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe they need to, uh, to, uh, get in touch with some local independent wrestlers and get a ticket seller battle Royal going. <laughs> Uh, there will be interesting to see whether or not this means that we've reached the saturation point, because the one thing that we need to add to your spreadsheet about, um, local, uh, the NA attendance here mm -hmm. is the ticket price, the average ticket price that was absorbed in each of these quarters. Cause what you will see is over the last, uh, basically two years here, the average ticket price has begun to skyrocket upwards. And that's the way that WWE has been able to drive their live event revenue. If you look at it from a price volume mix type uh, situation, they've been using a lot of price lever so that even while the volume, which is attendance, has been going down, the price has been going up. And that's what's been keeping live events profitable and keeping live events going up. 
However, this quarter we saw a historic moment, something that Dave Meltzer even like quote tweeted me on. I don't know if you saw that about my comments about the live events. Cause I said, wow, this is unusual. They lost money operating income on live events this quarter. And this was a non WrestleMania quarter. Sometimes that happens when you have like a mega, mega event because you're spending so much on one area, but, and you get the revenue on a different one, you know, that you're, you're running a live event, maybe at a loss, but then on pay-per-view or somewhere else, you're going to make it back up. Yeah. But I was like, we didn't really have anything weird in Q3 that I can think of that we did where it would make sense for live events. And so why is it down? Well, in the, the doc, it says, quote, because attendance was down. Well, that's not good. And because increased management incentive costs. So either the people that are um, somehow cut in on management incentive for the, the quarter uh, because they overperformed on revenue or overperforming against expectations and we've done overperformed on the domestic TV rights deal that they secured, uh, that somehow that's hurting the live event mm-hmm. revenue is the way the accounting said. But it was just very odd in the sense that Dave even called out, he didn't think in 21 years he could think of a time when WWE, quote, was losing money on live events. So so all that money is going into Kevin Dunn's direct deposit is what you're telling me. All that money is going into the manager of live events direct deposit, perhaps. Uh, so I don't know it, how it rolls up. I, I doubt it would be the TV guy. But, but, but seriously, they're, they're, they're paying their executives and their, their high-level high employees more money. It would appear so. It would appear that the they, they have to spend more on the management incentives and now, executive pay. Now the wrestlers are getting paid more too, right? Well, right? if the wrestlers are paid on the gates, absolutely not. Oh. <laughs> I have no idea if wrestler pay is going up or down. One would expect that the Saudi Arabia type show is a great payday for a Shawn Michaels type person who's mm. probably standing to make three, four million dollars possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, uh, there's a lot of wrestlers who probably aren't making more money except for maybe Titus O'Neil, who probably is going to have a lifetime gig of going to Saudi Arabia. Who knows what they'll make him do on this show? Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a good time to be a, a master. Not, not, a, not such a great time to be a surf, I guess. Well, I, you know, I, like I said before, I do think some wrestlers probably had their best payday outside of a WrestleMania by going and working that Saudi Arabia show. There's a lot of money there and WWE would have had to basically cover that difference if they moved that show. And that might've been really tough. Uh, for them financially. So it could have been something where they actually would have ended up spending a whole lot of money if they wanted to to deliver on all those things. Chris Jericho but, was not happy with his payout when he found out how much money W made on, on the Saudi Arabia show. He wants three times that much next time. Yes, just because he, t- the airport layout is no yes. good for him. The travel was, was inconvenient. Well, we talk about live events, but when we say live events, we really mean main roster live events. What about NXT? Was NXT up or down? NXT on the quarter was down, so and I went through all the old quarterly reports, and they've been breaking out NXT attendance and some other information for NXT live events, like average ticket price and total attendance since 2016. So I, I've I collected the first nine months of the year for for 2016, 17, and 18, and compared them, and 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 what we see is the average ticket price has gone up, uh, the average attendance has gone down, but total revenue. Is, is actually as high as it's ever been. $5.3 million through the first nine months of this year, which is higher than $5.1 million in 2017, higher than $4.1 million in 2016. So they're, they're drawing and, fewer people, but they're getting more money per head out of these people. And, and that is the story of WWE live events over the last three years here. And it's a trend where 
I think that they recognize that they could, you know, they even said it themselves that they recognize that they were probably underpricing some of their tickets because the scalpers were, were scooping it up so much and reselling it so high. Yeah. On the flip side, you reach a breaking point. And this to me would be the point when I'd start getting nervous about basically, have I tried to extract too much money from the loyal fans that I have left that I'm creating a barrier to entry for people that want to come in later. Now we, we need to spend some time on this NXT thing to really break out how many Florida shows, how many touring shows, how many international touring shows, because it does make a difference if you're, if they go to England or Australia yeah. versus if they're just going to the Midwest, but all in all, yeah, I've, I've got some column you, graphs in here and you can see like Q3 or I'm sorry, Q4, 2016, $2.9 million, which is way above every other quarter. And I believe that coincides with an international tour for NXT. Yeah. And, and at the same time, when people say, what's the value of NXT? Uh, I would say it's an amount of money, but all of last year, live events with NXT made what? $6 million? 6.5? Do I have it open? I'm just kind of looking at the numbers here and doing the math in my head really quickly. I think 6.3 over the last four quarters. There's an annual tab. Live event revenue. There's an annual tab in there that will, I think, tell you what you're Oh, asking. I'm not even, yeah, I was just looking at the graph that you had. Yeah. But yeah, just the idea that it's $6 million. So if you really think they're running NXT for $6 million, you're sadly mistaken because you're not even covering the building costs at that point. Yeah, in 2017, total revenue for live events, for NXT live events, was uh, about $6 million. Then in 2016, it was actually $7 million. Yeah, because it was inflated very heavily by that huge Q4 number. Um, and, and in theory, things like the Barclays Center, big NXT event, that should only be going to the NXT live number. So what you also need to actually exclude from this data, if you really get detailed on it, is taking out the one or two big events a year and then looking at it. And then you see that the average attendance isn't 800. The average attendance is 700 something. Yeah, I guess there's three event types or maybe even four. Um, you know, the, the Florida house shows, maybe the, the full sale TV tapings could be extracted out of there. I don't know. And uh, takeovers and then the national tour. Yeah. So and maybe you want to split without, international as well. I don't know. Yeah, anyway. So without Roman Reigns there for some time, yeah. do you think we see, you know, this will be an interesting experiment, right? Because we're always being asked who's a draw, who's not a draw. It will be a chance for us to look at some, uh, basically a pre-post raw live event touring averages with and without Roman and just see, was there any noticeable effect of what they did? And did, did they in fact, quote, revitalize the live event segment? Yeah, well, I guess uh, we'll, with we'll, other initiatives. Yeah, I guess we'll see going forward if uh, if those raw house show attendances drop versus the last time they were in those towns. We will see. Um, I wouldn't expect a strong drop, but it it could be something. I mean, they're they're uh, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel here with forty five thousand uh, average North American attendance. So we'll see. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens as far as star creation and who who gets to rise up if Braun Strowman becomes a bigger star because of this. To having to, to fill the space that Roman Reigns is going to leave absent here. Um, you know, I, I hope Roman Reigns gets better and, and comes back as soon as possible. Uh, we've seen over the last four years a lot of resources and a lot of time, uh, so much to the extent that I think it's hurt his star power quite a bit. Uh, we, I, th I don't think we know how big of a star he could be because he's, you know, he's been shoved down people's throats so much. that uh, So we'll, we'll see with, with him not being around to, to have those, that time and resources and that television time and that priority given to him. We'll see how that's split up among others. And we'll also, you know, God willing that he recovers here, that will be quite a comeback story. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm sure you remember when, when Kobayashi came back. Kobashi. Kobashi. I always say that. Not, not, not Hideo Itami. No, no, but, um, just, just, you know, how big that was when he came back from bladder cancer. Was it ki- and... Kidney cancer? I'm sorry, kidney cancer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Bladder cancer was, I think, what Giant Baba might have died of. I think about it. Something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it just, it, it's, it's really crushing news for them. Uh, and especially for the family, just to, to hear that and, and have such, such a young performer mm-hmm. be in that situation. So I'm positive that WWE will in some way, you know, have a very big opportunity for him to be a spokesperson, do a more work and other things, as well as, you know, hopefully support him through this initiative here. You know, this really will say a lot about the way they treat their top stars when you can see someone like this stepping away. And, you know, how are they dealing with the fact that he himself, in theory, is responsible for his own insurance? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. But uh, hopefully he comes back as as soon as possible. And uh, I think he's got a shot to be a bigger star than ever. You know, a lot of people are talking about, look, he's never going to get booed again. I mean, we'll see. I think he's definitely going to be more readily and easily accepted than he ever was because this yeah, is a real I, I think it'll thing. be an incredible comeback story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A little bit, remem- little bit of like that kind of pop when Cena came back at the Royal Rumble and no one expected him to recover so quickly, obviously from a much less serious yeah. injury. Yeah, I think when it's a life-threatening thing, that makes, that makes him a much more sympathetic figure. Yeah. Um, in legal news for WWE, uh, there was two Kairos things this week. Uh, Constantine, uh, Kairos Constantine, mm-hmm. Constantine Kairos. Yes. Um, and one of them was this, you know, was that he filed a bunch of appeals. So basically he has appealed his judgment in the WWE CT case, basically saying, you know what, this is not, um, fair. And he appealed a whole bunch of different rulings. I think there were six of these that he appealed to the second. What it, let me see exactly what um, which group it was to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit. Um, but the also filed a uh, complaint because he's, of course, in the middle of this sanctions battle right now. And I've talked about a lot, lot about this more on the um, on the, the premium shows. But basically what happened is that he's been sanctioned. There was a motion for sanctions that WWE put out. The judge referred it to another judge. The judge, that George, Judge Richardson, said, yep, I think they should go through. In fact, then Judge Hall, uh, Janet Hall, I think it is, um, came back and said, yep, I affirm that this one, in fact, is going to uh, go through. Actually, I, I take it back. It's Vanessa Bryant is the judge in this case. Uh, Vanessa Bryant then said, yep, I, I affirm that we're going to do the sanctions. And so WWE has basically been saying, here's all the money I spent on these sanctions requests. And that Kairos basically has been fighting these sanctions requests and including one of them where today he was, or not today, this week he basically posted, I don't think it's fair. Here's all the places I think they're using, you know, crazy billing numbers. They, they said they did a, a PowerPoint that took them 50 hours to do and it cost $100,000 or something. But strangely in this thing, um, Kairos at one point says, WWE's clearly abusive tactics against plaintiff's counsel throughout this litigation warrant severe capping of the requested fees. If WWE's improper intention was not overtly obvious from the face of its application of a fees, then its own skit describing how it will bankrupt anyone who tries to sue them evidence is evidence of clear bad faith. For instance, defendant Vincent K. McMahon derides his employee, Kevin Steen, aka Kevin Owen, not Owens, Owen, um, before a crowd on one of its flagship programs with millions of viewers and addresses what would happen if the employee were to file a lawsuit against him and his company. And I think we actually uh, have some audio from that. Well, 
Let me give you a little hint as to what happens if you file that lawsuit. The moment you do, I'm personally going to be on the phone to your attorney. Hopefully you're there and I'm on speakerphone because when you file the lawsuit, you will hear these words. Kevin Owens, yes! Do you know how many have lost, Kevin? Not one. You see, for better or for worse, the laws of this land are written for people like me. There's a B associated with my name, and that B is billionaire. By the time that lawsuit gets to court, there's going to be a B next to your name. Bankrupt. There's not going to be a lawsuit. There's going to be a match. <laughs> yeah, and he goes on to book the, the Shane McMahon match where he jumps off the cell yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So that was September 12th, 2017. So a little over a year ago. Um, and that was, of course, the angle where uh, Kevin Owens attacked him. Um, and it's funny because it also says Kevin Owen on this one on the bottom here where they explain where this, this clip came from. Um, but basically that this is the one where Vince got busted open and there was yeah. all the discussion at the time about like, you know, for a guy involved in a CTE lawsuit doing hard way blood and headbutts against your executive owner, this seems like this has all the potential to go terrible. What if you cause brain trauma? What if you, uh, what if he has a serious medical event? What if Vince, you know, were to get injured in this angle? You've just now put out the executive, the the, the president, the head of a company, yeah. um, as and, part and, of and your running, silly little and show. Running down one of your independent contractors about how how futile it is to try to sue him <laughs> right before. Uh, well, and it, it actually brings up a very interesting question. Where I was like, I wonder if he could fire him if he if if Kevin Owens could then counter sue for you know breach of contract contract and basically uh, retaliatory behavior or other things saying, you know, you, you can't fire me because I filed a lawsuit against uh, the conditions I did. You have to wait till the lawsuit's over before you can make that decision. Um, yeah. So that was the, anyway, so there was the, a lot of people were kind of baffled by um, that filing and, uh, or at least the, the, uh, the approach he took. And that was also on October 25th. So that was on the same day as the Saudi Arabia, deal happened but the idea of using that angle as part of a legal filing i think it's one of those weird things where you're just like i can't tell if if kairos is is trolling vince if kairos just doesn't care or if he thinks this is a sound legal strategy Mm -hmm. yeah uh so that was just a entertaining little footnote that uh i will i'll take credit for kind of bringing up to people about that that was happening this week uh, so I brought that up on social media. And also on social media, there's been drama. Drama over New Japan gifts. Oh. Gifts. I prefer gifts. I like gifts as well. Yeah. I have some uh, gift but peanut no. butter over here. But uh, <laughs> Tell me about this, this gift drama. So apparently New, New Japan got uh, so- someone's Twitter account shut down who was doing a lot of New Japan gifts. They sent, uh, would it be a cease and desist, some sort of, what is it, DCMA notice to Mr. Lariato on Twitter? Uh, I, I think it's a claim that they own the rights of what is being rebroadcast. So uh, that, that it's a violation of the, their intellectual property or their use of rights. So it looked like they were trying to crack down on gifts. I, I did notice, I think there was a New Japan event today, and I did notice the New Japan World 
account was doing their own gifts. So at least they're doing the, doing their own. But uh, uh, according to Mr. Lariatu on Twitter, he says, where is this tweet here? He says that, uh, that they're limiting it. So he says, the New Japan shows live for anyone planning to post gifts. I've been told that the problem was the number of gifts being posted and finishes being given away. I guess that's what New Japan didn't like. Keep it to three to four gifts per match, no finishes, and link back in the tweet to New Japan World, and there shouldn't be any further trouble. Of course, that doesn't come from an official statement from New Japan itself, but that comes from, <laughs> from Mr. Lariato, uh relaying that information on Twitter. Which, which is interesting. I mean, it could be one of these where basically New Japan wants to have some deniability and um, they can be uh, capricious with how they enforce it. Because if they put out a, a formal policy and then they can be accused of violating it, if they just don't like that someone says New Japan sucks, follows all these rules, and then links it to New Japan World, and New Japan decides that that's an account they just don't want to deal with. So I'm sure part of it is that they want to basically say, we're not saying that we're tacitly approving people using our IP and doing things with it. But on the flip side, um, I don't think they're coming up with a ridiculous policy I personally. Okay. I think that actually this is, this is a pretty fair policy to say yeah. we want it to drive it to new Japan world. We were getting to a point where people could basically watch all of new Japan through these gifts. Mm-hmm. I, I'm granted. I know it's all on daily motion. I know it's out there. I'm not foolish in that sense. But I, I also think that companies have the right to kind of try to see if they can set a standard to say, we want to get people interested in what we're doing, and we don't want to necessarily spoil it, because then people then perceive it as if it's our fault that things are being spoiled. And we're already accused of spoiling things mm-hmm. because we're so bad at local integration when we don't, you know, for instance, uh, uh, realize that a lot of our Western viewers are going to tune into our tournament shows after they're done airing when they actually wake up and we shouldn't probably put on the front page of our new Japan world thing. Who's going to the finals. Yeah. And I agree with all that. I think it's important to balance that with preserving your fan goodwill and appreciating how new Japan came to such Western pop popularity as it has now, uh, largely through gift makers like Mr. Larry Otto, uh, distributing their product. Yeah. I, I, I think influencers are important. I think, credited with their ability to to impact things and at the same time they operate in a space really tough you know i i I really respect the work that they're doing i i like it i just don't want to be brad shepherd i don't want to be the guy who's just going out there and constantly claiming oh you should have credited me for blank when it's just random things that you're saying i think that's silly Mm mm-hmm I don't know if that I don't know if those two statements together make sense to other people. What I'm trying to drive at, but it's it's the idea of saying you're not creating this content. You're right. you're basically just trying to take create a name for yourself sometimes by being a conduit for it. Yeah. And I think people then overemphasize their value in that their 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 role in that value pool. I do think on the flip side, yeah, it's the best way to kind of synthesize what you're doing and the fact that New Japan is not synthesizable when you're writing an article about new Japan, unless you can embed a tweet where you show what you're showing because new Japan doesn't make it available. Then it makes total sense to say these people played a huge role in getting new Japan over to other audiences. And so hopefully new Japan themselves just learns and says, Hey, why don't we control this content more and more ourselves, which I believe they're doing now. And, and, and they should, I, I think it's like on a, on a smaller scale, this is like, if, if they were to, which they haven't apparently, right. If they were to just, you know, crack down on gifts entirely, like UFC has, and maybe WWE has to some extent, although there's still people doing it, but it would be like, you know, saying a hey, sports center don't, don't air our highlights anymore. You know? Indeed. Indeed. Um, but you could also say, yeah, that people pay a lot of money to 
try and control their rights. And they so do. There has to be a balance, right to, I think. To do that. There has to be a balance um, to preserve fan goodwill and, and the exposure that you have and to keep that going. And I know we've gone long enough, but oh, yes. I would like to just talk touch on one last show, one last mm-hmm. subject. And this is the one um, – it was a leftover from last week. Oh. And it was a, a article on lastwordonprowrestling.com. And it was about people that have got more than a million subscribers on YouTube that have a wrestling fan base. And so, un, un, unsurprisingly, WWE has almost 35 million subscribers. Impact has under 2 million, about 1.87 million people. And then number three, well, I mean, there's a Ring lot of, of Honor. here. Could be Ring of could Honor. Be CM, well, it could be Ring of Honor. It could be CMLL. New Japan. New Japan. Um, you know, uh, maybe maybe it's a promotion that's been around for like 30 years. like, And it's like, you know, something really niche. The NWA. Like, like. Or, or like CZW, you know, mm. something that, that it's just been going forever. Or, you know, the hottest wrestling in the world, the one that you can't buy streaming, but P- so PWG. they have their own YouTube channel. PWG. PWG. Nope. Oh, maybe, maybe it's one of the ones where former WWE writers are doing there. A lot of ex-WWE talent is working there. Lucha Underground. Uh, MLW. Or, or MLW. Yeah. No, none of those. It is beyond wrestling. Oh. 1.03 million uh, subscribers uh, promoted by who? Drew Cordiero. And uh, a cheap plug. Aren't you going to wrestle for Beyond Wrestling? No, I'm going to wrestle for Limitless, I think you're thinking of. <laughs> I think I am too. Sorry about that. <laughs> but they come up later on the list here. Yep. They do. Uh, so uh, Drew with his Beyond Wrestling, kudos to him. What, a guy that, you know, if you're a, a professional wrestling uh, executive out there and you're curious about penetrating a, a social media strategy, he might be a good person to talk to in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I talked to him a little bit about social media stuff when I've done the uh, social media articles and uh, he has a lot of insights on, you know, building YouTube, especially. Yeah. Maybe we should be hiring him. WrestleNomics radio brought to you by beyond wrestling or the other way around beyond wrestling brought to you by WrestleNomics radio. Mm-hmm. Triple uh, A way down at probably six hundred thousand. New Japan together maybe four hundred thousand between their English and Japanese channels. Uh, Defiant Wrestling three seventy. Where's Defiant? I don't even from? know what Defiant is. Oh, Defiant Wrestling three seventy. We should look that up. Uh, Ring of Honor at um, three hundred five. The Being Elite channel, which you know in itself is is kind of its own wrestling promotion. Looks like Defiant Wrestling is a, a UK promotion uh, coming out of like Sheffield and Newcastle and whatnot. This would be what what culture wrestling used to be. Got it. Um, Ring of Honor 300 being the late 250. WWR, the Women's Wrestling Revolution, which is 192. And, and guess what that is? That, that's Beyond's women's promotion. Got it. Uh, so just really speaking to the incredible promotional um, execution going on for social media strategy right now for Beyond Wrestling, as far as we can tell. Limitless Wrestling at 165. So Brandon, the top 10. You, you, could, you could tell people you're going to wrestle for one of the top 10 companies in the world. I, I, Asterix. I, I guess Social media Evolve promotion, was, YouTube um, subscribers. Evolve was omitted from this, but you or WWN, but you got it back in here at number twenty. Did you put that? in? I don't have them anywhere. Uh, I do. Them. I did add them. Yes, I did. I added them in myself. Yeah. Uh, Eleven is CZW. Twelve is CMLL. Uh, now we're under the hundred thousand mark, and then you get AIW, which is is that the the promotion in Cleveland or the one in Chicago? Cleveland and Chicago Cleveland. is AAW. Yeah, they're also. How here. could I get those mixed up? Yeah, it's, it, uh, yeah, it, it, people get confused. Yeah, the the NWA channel about fifty six thousand. The ICW channel fifty three thousand. That's insane. Championship wrestling PWG fifty three. 
then you have another step change down to MLW, Progress, Reality, WWN, Wrestle Circuits. That's all in the twenty to 30,000 range. Then you have your sub-20 people like DDT Pro, WXW in Germany and other places, Shimmer, Rev Pro, The Crash. Now we're sitting at 10,000. And then we get to the real small uh, groups, AAW, the Chicago one I was mentioning, Preston City, uh, 8,000, OTT, the Irish group, I believe it is, yes. Smash Wrestling out of Ontario, 7,500, Shikara, 7,500. What is, what is uh, ESW these days? 2,000 some odd. Uh, I think Shikara had to start over. I think their YouTube channel got blown up or something. Yeah. So just kind of speaking to the fact that this is only one venue. They have Twitch. Some people have gone high on Twitch. And so, you know, House of Hardcore and, of course, AAA have done a whole lot more on Twitch. You have some people that are, are pushing other forms. You know, like I know uh, talking to Dave Lagana, they push Instagram stories. They push all sorts of other media things that they do with this. So it's not always just one place. This is only looking at one platform, looking at one definition subscribers, not even views, subscribers. Um, but it was just kind of a really interesting list that, especially this Beyond story, I think that's a really interesting example. Maybe we should try to get Drew on the show, show someday and just talk to us a little bit about what he's learned from this promotion here. Definitely. We could do that. We could ask. Yeah. So um, this has been our show, breaking down some WWQ3 results. We really went in depth on Thursday. I'm tired of talking about that. That's why this show, we talked about other stuff. But if you want to hear that full story show you want to see the puppets you want to see the graphs you want to see the the data sets you want to be able to click on all the links you want to see brandon's research you want to see the brandonomics that he did on the stock market if you're trying to argue that dow jones is really what we should compare wwe to well brandon did it for you so all you have to do five dollars a month go to wrestlenomics.com go to the patron site patreon.com slash wrestlenomics and you sign up and you get access we want to thank some of our our new listeners some old friends coming through um, you know, uh, our buddy in Toronto, uh, Rick, my buddy, buddy in Connecticut, all these new people coming through. We're excited to have you. Uh, and we want to just say that, uh, we thank everybody for sticking with us through all the Saudi Arabia coverage. I know that's uh, one story that we've decided to go all in on and it's not over yet. It's, it's not that's over the reality of it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think we need to cover stuff that's, that's newsworthy and that's, it's not, it's not going to be over for at least another week. Yep. But um, I'm very curious to see, you know, whether or not WWE is is taking a drumming as a result of Crown Jewel or as a result of their financial stuff. A lot of it should be able to tell when we actually get a copy of these analysts investment papers on WWE. I think that's going to tell us a lot about what is the statements being put out here. Is it disappointment in the f financial results or is it, you know, dissatisfaction coming from other things? Mm -hmm. So that will be a big, big question going on here. And uh, anything that we can figure out, you know, the I get the feeling like they want evolution to trend under every way under the sun so they can talk about engagement, engagement, engagement. So I have a, a I'll be curious, too, to see if, if Brandon is able to compare the engagement or the Google interest or something else for this show compared to maybe a SummerSlam or some other less meaningful show in a certain way or even Crown Jewel. You know, I guarantee Crown Jewel is super high on Google interest because I know for a fact I Google almost every day WWE Saudi or WWE Crown Jewel um, just to see if a new story pops up in some strange corner of the world. Um, in fact, I'll do it right now. Uh, it's always curious to me whether or not, you know, uh, we get new stories. The story I do feel is beginning the, the, the Khashoggi story is beginning to peter out a little bit. You've been saying that um, for two weeks. I have been. Um, 
I do see that CNN actually posted an article yesterday called WWE will hold Saudi event as planned. They posted that on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just mentioning all the people that didn't want to go to the Davos concert, uh, Davos of the Desert. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. This, this story's been staying alive for two weeks, even as we've got the you know, U.S. elections here coming up, and uh, you know, a mail bomber. I, so, I, I, exactly. I think the mail bombing I felt like took a lot of the the domestic focus off the twenty four hour news channels. So we'll, but, we'll see yeah. how it's how we've got another week of this though. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh! Never mind. Hmm. I, I'm sorry. I, was, I saw the Knoxville news. It says WWE wrestlers pulling out of controversial Saudi Arabia event featuring Glenn Jacobs. I misread that and thought it was saying Kane was pulling out. Hmm. But that is not, in fact, at all what it's saying. It was talking about the rumors about John Cena and, and uh, Daniel Bryan. Yeah, would be surprised um, yeah. if Kane pulled out. It would be, especially for the amount of money that he is uh, probably standing to make as a, a sitting mayor to make that decision to go ahead and do this and being in a match with the Shawn Michaels, who is going to be making millions and millions. I think considering what we know about his political alignment, I don't think he's bothered. I, you know, as a libertarian... Um, I don't know whether or not he he I, I I think he I think he still believes in human rights. I think he still believes in other things. Um, Does Vince McMahon believe also, in human rights? Definitely, definitely doesn't believe in workers' rights. I don't think anyone doesn't believe in human rights. I think some really? people might not understand why somebody else's action yeah. can be stopped or influenced by their action. How about the freedom, so, freedom of the press? Does he believe in that? I think him and Donald have a lot of, of of similar tendencies when it comes to their ability to filter a story through the prism and stand bad PR. They'll stand up for it. They'll take it for a long time just to fight because they like to fight. They have a complex of victimization, I would say. Very similar. They certainly uh, both believe that uh, all the events should be interpreted through the lens of who they are. Moving on and ending. Anything else, Brandon? You can find Brandon at Brandon Thurston. Uh, he wrote an article for Fightful, yes. which you should certainly go out of your way to see because there's some great graphs and great charts in there, mm-hmm. um, all from Vizicalc. And uh, I'm Mukigana on Twitter. You can find us at WrestleNomics. And uh, we thank everybody who followed us on Thursday. It's a lot of work to cover a WWE uh, press release. You wouldn't think it would be, but you end up busy from 8 in the morning until about 2 in the afternoon just between the time it takes to read everything, synthesize it, respond to people on Twitter, listen to the conference call, and then start to actually talk about it with somebody else. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. You can find my article in the exclusive section on Flightful.com. Go check it out. Read it. Indeed. We'll talk to you later. Bye.